All right, y'all, got to be honest, that, uh, that worship set changed my introduction. I was going to say something about baseball players and being a five-tool player and well-rounded Christians. So there you go. That's kind of the, the quick version. But more importantly, y'all, I don't know about you, but that worship set got me hyped up, um, which is great because we got here tonight, and I was telling Amanda, man, I'm, I'm, I kind of am tired. I, I need to, to get something to fire me up to get up and preach, and that uh, song set did that for me. That was awesome. So um, thank you to our worship team. Yeah, you guys can clap for them. That was... That was cool. And that's, that's what gets me fired up about heaven, too, is, is that we're going to be able to do that, and uh, we're all going to sound really good. Um, not that it didn't, but, you know, some of you guys, are, are you, you're majoring in making a joyful noise to the Lord. Um, and in heaven, it'll be more that harmonizing and, uh, and that good sounding. But I was thinking about that last song that we just sang, right? Praise the one who set me free. That whole idea that then came the morning that sealed the promise, that the buried body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion declared, no grave, the, the grave has no claim on me. Like I was ready to get charismatic and just shouting amen in the back of the room there. And how exciting that is. And then it got me thinking about, man, but, but so often, like we stop with our excitement there. When Christianity as a relationship with God is about more than that one-time occurrence where you repent from your sins and you put your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That Christianity, that being a follower of Jesus is about a relationship with him that is dynamic, that's ongoing, that's every single day. It's not just a like, hey, I got saved and now I've got a relationship with God because I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian by title and so that means by default I have a relationship with God. No, it's more than that. See, the, the, the God of creation who sent his son to die on the cross for your sins and then that buried body that began to breathe that, the three days later and, and he came out of the grave, he wants a, an ongoing daily interaction with you as his adopted son or his adopted daughter. See, our, our relationship with the Lord should be dynamic. It should be ongoing. It should be something that, that doesn't just compartmentalize itself to church or to a midweek Bible study or to uh, times when, when we feel it's convenient and where it fits in. No, rather, if y'all, we hope to be well-rounded Christians, then what it looks like for us then is, is to have a relationship that is about every single second and every single minute and every single iota of your entire existence. And the book of Proverbs has really been striking that note with me, driving that truth home with me a lot because it's been reminding me of how valuable and precious the word of God is and how much we need it. Take your Bibles if you're not already there. Turn to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3 as we continue our summer study of Proverbs chapters 1 through 9. As King Solomon starts in chapter 3, it's going to sound familiar to where we've been before. He says this in chapter 3 verses 1 through 4. My son, he says, do not forget my teaching. But let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. That may sound a little bit like the beginning of chapter 2 where Solomon's telling his son, hey, don't forsake these things. Hold fast to these things. 
bind them up, dive into them, mind them for all their worth. And it's going to sound similar because he's going to say something similar in chapter four. He's going to remind them of the value of the wisdom of God, the value of the teaching that he's providing for them. Also chapter five, he's going to, at the outset of chapter five, say something very similar there. Chapter six, again, something similar there. Chapter six, verses 20 through 22, midway through the chapter, he kind of resets and says, my son, listen to what I'm saying. Pay attention to these words. And then again in chapter seven, See, Solomon wants us to remember that what we have in our possession is valuable. Talked about it a little bit last week. We'll talk about it again tonight, and that is that, that the word of God is more precious than gold and silver, that the wisdom of God's word is more valuable to us than the most uh, ridiculous amount of money you could ever imagine. If you hold a Bible in God's economy and you are a follower of Jesus, you have more worth to your name than Elon Musk has in his entire bank account. That's, that's the point that he's trying to drive home here. And so he introduces and he says, don't forget this stuff. Let your heart keep my commandments. Keeping meaning not just to, to hold them fast, but also to obey them. He says, for length of days and years of life, there's, there's blessing to come with keeping the commandments that Solomon is providing. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Internalize these truths. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Again, the blessings and benefits that come with that. So he intros it saying, hey, remember, it's worthwhile to pay attention to the word of God, kind of like we talked about last week. What are the motivations for us in obeying God? But then we get to one of the most famous verses, a verse that if you've read the book of Proverbs before or you've been around the church for very long, you've probably heard quoted. Proverbs 3, 5, he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. This is one of the more, again, well-known verses and probably a verse that could stand alone by itself and have an entire sermon preached just on chapter 3, verse 5, but we're preaching all of chapter 3. And so we're just going to scratch the surface. But it's a verse that, sure, you, you've heard about it before, and you've heard this verse before, and you go, okay, yes, I, I trust the Lord. But what does that mean? Well, he sets it up with some parallelism here because he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And then he, he sets up a parallel word to the word trust, and that is do not, what? Lean on your own understanding. And the words are related because it's, it's a similar concept. When y'all came in tonight, all of y'all in this room right now, I, I know this for sure because none of you are standing up. You've demonstrated the type of trust that we're supposed to have in the Lord. Because all y'all came in and you pulled out that chair and you sat down in it. And before you sat down in it, you didn't call a phone number written on the bottom of the chair and want to talk to the person that made the chair. You didn't want to find out like what serial number the chair was and what part of the batch it was or if it had been tested or how many pe people have sat in that chair over the course of... Uh, who knows how many junior high events and, and bridge events and other events that have gone on in this room. You weren't checking the chair to make sure it didn't break. You just sat down. You quite literally leaned all of yourself on that flimsy piece of plastic and metal. And now you're wondering whether you should have or not. But it's that trust, that inherent trust, that, that not even thinking about it, it just happens and you just sit down and you sit down because you're like, this is a chair and it's going to hold me up. That's the level of confident trust that we need to have in the Lord, to be able to cast everything about ourselves, our plans, our ambitions, our desires, our dreams, our fears, our anxieties, our loves, to turn that all over to the Lord and to say, I'm going to turn it over to him because he's God. 
And just like a chair is meant to hold you up and you don't wonder whether or not that chair is going to hold you up, God is meant to be able to sustain you and you don't have to wonder about whether or not he's going to be able to sustain you. And so Solomon calls us to trust in the Lord with all our heart and not to lean on our own understanding. Our point, point number one tonight is this. Build a foundation of trust in the Lord. Build a foundation of this level of trust in the Lord. You say, okay, I want to do that. What does that look like to trust in the Lord with all my heart and lean not in my own understanding? How do I, proverbially speaking, sit on the chair and trust the Lord? Verse 6 answers that. He says, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. In all your ways. Ways, speaking of patterns of life, behavior. In all of them. Okay? Solomon has just taken the concept that Christianity can somehow be compartmentalized, or that there can be an area of your life that you have not surrendered to God into trusting him, Solomon just took that concept and obliterated it. Because he said in every single arena, every single facet, every single sphere of your life, we are to, you are to acknowledge God. Well, what does that mean, to acknowledge him? It's the Hebrew word that means to know, to know intimately, to be intimately acquainted with someone. It's used of husbands and wives. It's used of close friends. And so when it says to acknowledge God in all of your ways, that means to know him in every area of your life, to have your intimate relationship with God the Father bleed into literally every crevice and corner of your existence. That's what it looks like to trust the Lord with all of your heart and not to lean on your own understanding. In every single sphere to acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Y'all, this is something that I've been focused on in my own personal walk with the Lord recently. And that is this concept that I want to live moment to moment to moment, constantly aware of my need to be glorifying God. And in asking myself, what do I need to be doing right now to please the Lord? How can I know him in that relationship fashion in my parenting? How can I know him in my relationship with my wife? How can I know him when I get in the car and I'm driving around Aliso Viejo? How can I know him when I show up at church? How can I know him as an employee? How can I know him in my relationship with y'all? How can I know him in my relationship with unbelievers in my life? Every single second, every single minute. And here's the deal, y'all. I need to do that because my flesh, as we talked about a little bit last week, my, my inclination is not to bring God into every facet of my life because I want to hold some things back from him. There are areas I don't want to trust the Lord in, whether it be because I'm anxious over that and I feel uncomfortable about not being in control. And so I fall prey to the delusion that somehow I am in control. And if I just do things my way and not God's way, then, then I'm controlling the outcome. Newsflash, he's still controlling the outcome even when you're sinning like that. Or whether it's because you are sinning in some areas and you know, man, if I, if I start to ask how God could rule over this part of my life, then that means I'm going to have to repent of that sin. I'm going to have to put that sin to death, and, and I love that sin. Whatever it is, that, if, if we just leave our flesh in neutral, we're going to be tempted to compartmentalize our Christianity. And yeah, we'll trust the Lord when it's convenient for us with some of our heart. But man, there's some areas of our lives we're going to lean on our understanding. 
No, we need to acknowledge him in all of our ways, that moment-by-moment focus. And you think, man, really? Moment-by-moment, that level of attention to detail? Yeah. Yes. And I think that's part of the reason why Paul said to Timothy at the end of his life, look, man, I'm, I'm exhausted, is what he tells Timothy. I'm being poured out as a drink offering. I got nothing left. I've been squeezed out, and I've been turned inside out, and I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm drained, Timothy. I've fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. And he says, I'm, I'm ready to go. Because now there is stored up for me that crown of righteousness that I can't wait to, to step into. This life for you as a Christian should be exhausting. You should be tired, okay? Because why? Because you are swimming upstream against a world and a culture that hates your Savior, And so every single second should be spent, ideally, with us saying, how do I please the Lord right now? What should that look like for me to trust him, to acknowledge him in all of my ways? You who are dating, where's the Lord fit into your dating relationship? Not just before a meal where you pray, or not just before, you know, when you pick up your phone and and you text them to say, hey, did you do your DBR today? But where does God fit into your physical relationship with your girlfriend or your boyfriend? You who are pursuing a, a career, and you've got your, you are type A to a, a fault. You've got a backup plan for your backup plan for your backup plan, and you are on your way, and you are going to conquer the world, becoming the next great lawyer, and you're going to do great things, and, and, or you're going to be a nec- the next great doctor, or you're going to go be a, a, the president of the United States because you're a masochist, whatever it is, right, that you want to do. And and you're just driving forward with the ambition. How are you acknowledging God? How is God influencing that pursuit? How are you entrusting and turning over all of those plans to him, saying, God, if you want something different for me, then I'm okay with that. It's like learning to do something, a, a brand new thing. If you've ever picked up a musical instrument to try to play an instrument and you've never done that before... And, and you have to focus like on the guitar about exactly where your fingers are supposed to go to make the chords. And, and it's, it takes so much effort initially to try to remember where, okay, where does it go and how do I get there? And it's, it's, you're, you're focused so much on each little thing, right? And then you get to be like Pastor Rod up here and then you just play and it just comes naturally and you're just a, a, a gifted prodigy on the guitar, right? but you're not thinking about it anymore. Well, y'all, we never get there with Christianity. We always need to be thinking about the next movement, where we're going next, what we're doing next. Because the alternative is, is listed in verse seven. Be not wise in your own eyes. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Y'all, we make lousy captains of our lives. We just do. We are really good at screwing things up for ourselves. And when we take our eyes off of the guidance of the Lord, when we stop seeking his wisdom, when we stop seeking his direction, it's easy for us to end up with a life that is just wrecked. And I know that because I've seen it in my counseling office time and time and time again. Where a couple comes in or an individual comes in and they're meeting with me and they're talking about things and they're saying, my life is a mess. And one of my first questions is always is, how's your time in the word been? And more often than not, the head drops, the eyes drop. Well, it hasn't been very good. I haven't really been in the Word. I haven't really been praying. I haven't really been around God's people. 
the diagnosis is clear. They're not knowing God in every area of their lives. And so there's no reason for them to expect, expect the, the blessing of the Lord on their lives. I'm not shocked at that point that their life is a mess. But at least we know where to start now. We've got a path forward. Instead of trusting in our own wisdom, we need to fear the Lord, something that we've talked about already here, and it's found by increasing our intake of the word of God and turn away from evil. There's another way we trust him. Look at verse 9 and 10. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth. That seems like a sharp turn here, except it's not really. Honor him with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. He's talking about the temptation to trust in ourselves rather than God here. And now he brings that over to an area where we are far more prone to trust in ourselves than we are God. And that is our finances. Y'all, if you are not giving back to the church, then, then you are, let me just tell you, in sin. And if you think that that's somehow motivated by greed on my part, listen, I'm in sin if I'm not giving back to the church. Okay? This is something that as, as Christians we are to do. It's an expression not just of gratitude, but also of trust in the Lord. He says, bring your first fruits. You guys know what the first fruits were, right? It was the earliest part of the crop. That's why it's called first fruits. They weren't super creative back in, in ancient times. And so they were like, what do we call these things? They're the first fruits that are coming out of the ground. Well, just call them first fruits. But how tempting would it have been after doing all the work, after plowing, after sowing the seeds, after watering, after watching it, after praying, after going, okay, I really hope this is going to happen, fending off the insects and the animals and everything else. And then finally the crop begins to produce and you're so overjoyed, you're so overwhelmed and you're going, this is great. I can't wait to taste and to, to enjoy the work of my hands. And yet what does God want? He wants that. As what? An expression of trust that he will continue to provide from that. And so some of us in this room maybe need to, to examine our bank accounts and say, man, am I, am I trusting the Lord with my finances or am I leaning on my own understanding in that regard too? And so we need to trust him in that way as well. A foundation of trust in the Lord is imperative for us to be a well-rounded Christian. We have to start there with this all-out, complete, confident trust in God. And yes, it begins with that turning our entirety, the entirety of our lives over to him in faith and repentance at the moment of conversion, but we're not done trusting him then. It continues through the rest of our lives, in every facet of our life, this dynamic, ongoing relationship with the Father that he desires with his sons and his daughters. The relationship built on that foundation is then going to desire and seek the fear of the Lord and his wisdom. I won't belabor this second point because we talked a lot about it last week, but the second point is, is echoing some of the things that we talked about in chapter two, and that's this in point number two. Seek God's wisdom and all of its benefits. We're to seek his wisdom and all of its benefits, and that flows from this trust that we have in him. We trust his goodness. We trust his character. We trust his wisdom. We trust his direction and his guidance, and so we go to the word of God to find those things. And when we go to the word of God to find those things, what we find in return is we find his favor and his blessing. And now let me make clear because I had somebody ask me about this this week. If I didn't make it abundantly clear last week, this is not health, wealth, and prosperity theology, okay? This is not the prosperity gospel saying, if you will do these things, God will make your life more rich and more wealthy and you will have no problems and you will not have sickness and all of your dreams will come true, okay? 
That is a false promise. That's a false gospel. That is not a biblical concept. However, y'all, we can preach and teach because the Bible does that if we are pursuing the Lord, if we are obeying the Lord, if we are seeking his wisdom, that a general principle is that the scriptures teach is that our lives will go better than if we don't, okay? And so that is something that we can hold on to. And so we seek the wisdom of God and all of its benefits. Look at verses 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Oh, man, I thought we were talking about benefits. Oh. Do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves or disciplines him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. If you were with us during our series in Hebrews, or conveniently enough, if you were with Pastor Rod in True North in his series on Hebrews, we covered this text not long ago because the writer of Hebrews quotes it. The concept of God's discipline. And sometimes that's discipline in response to a sinful action on our, our part, which is, by the way, us being made recipients of his wisdom, right? Because he is disciplining us to, to get us to see that what we are doing is foolish and showing us what is wise, right? As we repent from sin and, and pursue obedience. There's that level of discipline, but there's also the discipline that comes, as I was talking about it earlier, where we just are living in a constant state of the reality that it's hard to be a Christian in this world. So part of the discipline of the Father towards you is that you don't get to go participate in all of the sins and foolishness that some of your unbelieving friends do because you know that that's wrong because God's not calling you to do that. And so there's a, a guidance, there's a, a, a constricting presence of the Lord that is his discipline in our lives that keeps us on the straight and narrow. And so we should not despise that because that is a benefit that we have through our relationship with the Lord. It's his discipline in our life that produces that wise living in our lives. Verses 13 through 15, more of the good, goodness and benefits of the wisdom of God. Blessed, happy is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her, from wisdom, is better, here's the concept that we talked about again last week, than, than the gain from silver, and her profit is better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Again, do you believe that? Do you believe that? That's a you and God question. If someone, I, I asked this question last week, it's worth asking again. If someone were to come up with, to you with a blank check and say, how much would you take to never read the Bible again, what would your number be? Because if you have a number, then you don't believe what Solomon's writing here. You don't believe what he's writing here. Verse 16. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness. All her paths are peace. She's a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. They're happy. These are more of the tangible benefits that the wisdom of God has to offer us. He starts out with a long life, riches, and honor. There was an ancient Egyptian goddess who was pictured as holding long life and riches and honor, but they were swapped in her hands. In the, the, the left hand was the life, and in the right hand was the riches and honor. And culturally at this time, the, the right hand was greater than the left. And so Solomon flips this and says, no, wisdom holds life, long life in her right hand. Long life is, is to be prized. Life from the word is to be prized over the, the offer of riches and honor. Riches and honor may come, but that's just, a, a, that's just icing on the cake. The, the greatest thing 
is the, the life that's found in the word of God. And he says pleasantness. Pleasantness. That's a, a word we don't use very, enough, very much. How was your week this week? Oh, it was pretty pleasant. Maybe we should. Good. It was fine. That was pleasant. I, I, I don't know about you, but I want more pleasantness in my life. I want my life to be defined by, by things that are, are peaceful, as he says, and, and that are life-giving. That's pleasant. But, but more than that, and if, if, if there's something intangible about this that you can only really understand if you have devoted yourself for a season to just mining the word of God, and you have had a season where you have seen victory over sin in your life, and you have drawn near to the Lord, and there's an intimacy in your relationship with him, there is a clarity in thinking that comes over you. There's a freedom that you sense. There's a lightness about your walk and your step that comes. There's a, a joy that comes to you where you are just going, man, I am so thankful for the Lord right now. And yeah, this just, I got a flat tire on my way to work today, and I didn't really. But if I did, and then I dropped my iPhone, and somebody ran over it, and then um, my grandma cussed me out on the phone. But you know what? I've got this abiding joy that life is okay because of my relationship with Jesus, right? There's, there's something that transcends your circumstances that causes you to have this intangible pleasantness, right? There's a, a deep abiding satisfaction that comes when you lean into the Word of God. And here's the thing, y'all. All of the... the the, the pleasures that you're chasing from all of the lures in the world of, that, that sin has cast out for you, all of those things that, that are a temporary fix, a temporary buzz, a temporary ple pleasant experience, whether that be sexually or through alcohol and drugs or um, just self-centered e ego stroking, whatever those desires you have are, those things come and they go, and, and you're left feeling horrible afterwards. This joy, this pleasantness that we have from the word of God, it sustains. It abides. And it's a blessing of giving ourselves over to the wisdom of the Lord. Nothing else can offer that to you. Not even John Piper. Nothing else can offer that to you. The, the wisdom and the benefits of his wisdom. Well, he shifts in the final section then to deal with then what our life should look like. Okay, so for a well-rounded Christian, right? Somebody who's got this dynamic, ongoing relationship with God, what does it look like? Well, I've built it on a foundation of trust in the Lord, and then I've been seeking him and, and the, the benefits of his wisdom, and I'm enjoying all this, so then what does my life look like now? And that's kind of where he goes in chapter 3, verses 21 through 25, and it's our final point tonight. It's this, let God's wisdom show in your integrity. Let the wisdom of God that you are taking in, that you are seeking, that you are striving after, let it show, manifest itself, evidence itself in the integrity of your life. Verses 21 through 26 uh, paint the first picture there, and it's, it's just how we should go about our daily lives. Pick up in 21. He says, my son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will, and here's what our life begins to look like, you're going to walk on your way securely. You're going to conduct your, your affairs. You're going you're to walk around and, and, and conduct your behavior securely, safely. You will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. 
Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Do not withhold good. He goes on. This is the, the next section down. But that first section is just the, the, the manner of your life. What does that look like when you have made the Lord your trust and your confidence and you are seeking his wisdom and all of its benefits? One of the things your, your life looks like then is, is you've got this abiding confidence in the Lord that lets you in, enjoy every single day as it comes. That, that there's not a, a fear or anxiety about you. Verse 23, you're going to walk on your way securely. Why? Because of what we talked about last week. Look back across the page, if you will, Proverbs chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. Proverbs 2, 7 and 8 says, He stores up, God does, the Father stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a, here's the protection that we have. This is why we can walk securely. God is a shield to those who walk in integrity guarding the paths of justice and watching over. You remember the gatekeeper illustration from last week? God is watching over the way of his saints. That's why you can walk and walk securely because you are walking in the way of the Lord and the Lord has got you. The Lord has got you. Verse 24, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. You don't have to go to bed anxious. You don't have to go to bed fearful. You don't have to go to bed worried about what tomorrow is going to bring. Why? Well, if I can jump to the New Testament for a second, Romans 8.31. Romans 8.31, what, what then shall we say to these things? If God is what? Come on. If God is for us, what? Who can be against us? Right? You guys know that that's more than just a cool, you know, platform for Chris Tomlin to write this song called The God of Angel Armies, Right? Like, this is true. Like, the God of creation is for you. You, you get that? If you're in Christ, like, I, I don't think some of you guys get that. Like, the God of the universe is for you. Who can be against you? So you go to bed. Why are you afraid when you go to bed? What do you have to fear? Psalm 55, 22. Cast your burdens on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. My kids come into my room sometimes at night because they're afraid. Luke is the, the most common perpetrator of this. And he shuffles over to my side of the bed. I don't know why he comes to my side of the bed every time, but he does. And he just barely peeks over the bed, which is the most terrifying thing in the world. You guys will know that one day. And I, I've gotten to the place where I, I, it's just one motion now. I hear him. He doesn't even get the words out. I had a bad dream, and I'm just picking him up and throwing him between Amanda and I in the bed. Because I just want to go back to sleep. But for him, he just needs five minutes laying there with mom and dad to know, mom and dad have got me. I don't have to worry about anything. I don't have to be afraid. And after he kicks me in the back for the sixth time, I look at him. I'm like, all right, I'm taking you back to bed. He goes, okay. And I'll take him back in his room, the same room he was just afraid of. And I'll put him back in his bed. And I'll say goodnight. And he'll say goodnight. And then he goes to sleep for the rest of the night. If my six-year-old can have that level of confidence in me, y'all, we can have so much more confidence in God. And that comes when we are giving ourselves over to the study of his word, when he is our confidence, he is our trust. And when we are studying his, his word and pursuing his, his discipline, his wisdom, and enjoying all of its benefits, that's when we have this confidence in him to go, I'm going to lay down and sleep tonight because you've got me. Because you've got me. David, the one who ran for his life, is the one who said, I lay down and slept and I awoke for the Lord sustained me. He's running from his life, for his life, from Saul and then later Absalom. 
He's like, but I was able to sleep because God has got me. Verses 25 through 26. What else does our life look like? Do not be afraid of sudden terror or ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. In other words, don't be chicken little. The sky is not falling. Right? Like there was a headline this week where the CDC is saying, hey, 58 counties in California need to mask back up. And I'll, I'll admit there's a little part of me that was like, oh, no, come on, not again, right? But then I'm like, why? The sky's not falling. The world's not ending. God's, God's on the throne. He's got this, right? That's the confidence that we have as believers. George Whitfield and others said this as well, but I, I like Whitfield better. Anyway, George Whitfield said this, we are immortal until our work on earth is done. Okay? We are immortal until our work on earth is done. Think about that statement for a second. In other words, until the work that God has for you to do is over, is done, you've fulfilled it, you're not going anywhere. Because he, Psalm 139, has written in his book all the days of your life before even one of them had come to pass. So why are you going to bed afraid? Why are you wearing three masks in your car on the way to the grocery store? I'm not saying be an idiot. If you guys go to the top of the building and jump off, guess what? Your work is done. But I am saying there's a confidence that we can have that the Lord is going to sustain us as long as he's going to sustain us no matter what. There's a freedom that we can enjoy with that. So that's how our lives just generally should look. But then he gets into what our lives should look like when it comes to our relationship to others in this world. Pick up in verse 27. He gives four prohibitions against doing unnecessary harm to other people. He says, do not withhold good from those to whom it's due when it's in your power to do it. In other words, be a generous person. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow. I will give it when you have it with you. Be willing to be inconvenienced in order to love other people. That sounds a lot like love your neighbor as yourself. Some guy said that in the New Testament. I don't, yeah. Verse 29, Jesus, by the way, said that. If you guys are like, I don't know who said that. Who said that? Was that Paul? Was that Jesus said that? Verse 29, do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he's done you no harm. In other words, if you've got the Lord as your trust, if you are seeking his wisdom and enjoying all of his benefits, this is the don't be a jerk clause, okay? It's like don't, don't be somebody who is, is a poor represent, representative of all the goodness that's been done to you. Don't go out and do harm against others. We are free when we are trusting the Lord with everything to be a generous person. We are free to be a non-competitive person. It's hard for me to say. But we don't have to look at someone else as a threat to us. We can love them well and sacrificially. And then the final four verses, verses 31 through 34 he gets into how we should then think about the success of the wicked. Do not envy a man of violence. Do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. This again is building on the concept to trust the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. We can look at the wicked in this world and begin to lean on our own understanding and start to think, man, why are they getting away with all this? Why are they enjoying all of this blessing? Why isn't anything happening to them? You know, we need to trust the Lord and remember Romans 2.5. Romans 2.5 says that they are storing up, what? 
wrath for themselves for the day of judgment. So there's one measure to which we say, God, you are the God of justice and justice will be done, whether it's according to my schedule or your schedule, your schedule's better, okay, number one. Number two, and this one's a little bit of a harder one, but it's an important perspective for us to have, and that is this, if, Lord willing, one day your greatest enemy should bow the knee to Jesus Christ, well, what happened to all that wrath in Romans 2.5? Well, guess what happened to all that wrath in Romans 2.5? It was poured out where? On Jesus, on the cross, right? So is justice still done? Yes. And so he's just saying here, look, when we trust the Lord, you trust him to take care of it. It looks like the wicked are getting away with it. Man, their, their house is cursed. Toward the scorners, those, those who mock you, those who deride you, those who make fun of you, the Lord is scornful. But to the humble, he gives favor. Stay humble, trust the Lord is what he's saying here. And then he finishes in verse 35 with the summary. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. The wisdom of God, y'all, the, the word of God, so inherently valuable to us. And I don't think we get it. In fact, I know we don't get it. I think I mentioned last week, I'll mention it again if I didn't, that I, I, I know through talking with your small group leaders, that one of the hardest things for you guys to do is to develop a consistent pattern of time in the Word. And can I tell you that as your pastor, and I'll speak on behalf of your leaders in this room too, when you guys come to us and you're hurting or you're anxious or you're depressed or you're scared or you're coming out of a hard breakup and a bad relationship and you haven't been devouring the word of God, we're trying to help you with two hands tied behind our backs. Because the greatest thing that we have to offer you is the word. And if you are spiritually anemic, if you are, are, are not bolstering yourself, strengthening yourself with a daily intake of the word of God that is going to draw you close and into that dynamic relationship with him, why am I talking about reading the Bible more? Because that's what really this is all about. The wisdom of God is found in the word of God. It's not found in preachers. It's found in the word preached, okay? And you have the word to study. You have the word to read. And what grieves me more than anything else in this room is that you don't do it. And can I just, can we have a little family time right now? Can I just tell you guys I'm, I'm, I'm sick and tired of hearing how busy you are. I, I get it. I'm not denying that you're busy. I'm just saying that's a horrible excuse to not be in the word of God. If that's your excuse, can I just tell you, you are choosing, you are choosing, you are, you are choosing to ignore direct revelation from God to you that is more accessible at this point in history than it ever has been at any other time. And if you think you're not going to be held accountable to that, you're joking yourself. Whatever's on your schedule, this is more important. Your relationship with God and cultivating that relationship is more important than anything else on your calendar. In my calendar, nothing else should come before it. Nothing else should kick it off your plate. 
this is your lifeline. Everything, all the things that we've been talking about, growing, trusting, confidence, fear, fearlessness, no anxiety, all that peace, it doesn't come from anywhere else. And you're not going to build it just by showing up to church once a week. Like, God's not going to be impressed that you went to Compass Bible Church when you get to heaven. If your Bible stayed in the back seat Monday through Saturday. And so here's the deal, guys. I want to challenge you to do something. They used to say that forming a new habit took 21 days. Well, more recent research has begun to show that it takes about 66 days to form a habit. 66 days. So here's what I'm going to challenge you with. Mission 66. I want you to agree, and you're going to talk about this during small group, but I want you to agree tonight to put a stake in the ground, metaphorically speaking, to make a change to your routines and your habits. And for the next 66 days, I want you to commit and resolve with your small group leader, with your small group participants, to me and to your other pastors, and and to most importantly to the Lord himself, that you are going to spend the next 66 days consecutively in the Word doing the DBR. consecutively in a row? Yes. Why? Because that's what it takes to build this in. And and, and so if you do that, we're looking at September, where did I write it down here? I think September 8th. Some of you guys are already Googling and going, how long do I have to do this for? When is it? I think it's like September 8th. It's like a, a Tuesday or a Wednesday. If you start tomorrow, okay? 66 days starting tomorrow by mid September. Here's the deal, y'all. Your time in the word will be automatic to you. All right? Because it's not like you hit day 67 and you're like, okay, sweet, I did that, I'm done. Put it away. No, the goal is day 67, you're picking up the word and reading it because it's second nature to you. Just like you brush your teeth in the morning. I hope you brush your teeth in the morning, right? And you've been doing that for way longer than 66 days. But you're like, I I wouldn't go out of the house without brushing my teeth. Because I want you to get to the place where you're like, I'm not going to leave without my time in the word. And so 66 days. Commit to it with your group. Commit to it with your small group leaders. Commit to it with one another. They're going to talk to you about some different ways to to hold each other accountable to this and some different methods that you can utilize in this. But y'all, we call it the the DBR. What does the D stand for? Daily. It's not the OBR. It's not occasional Bible reading. That would be a horrible plan. But some of y'all are treating it that way. That's what some of y'all have. You have OBR. You don't have DBR. This is meant to get us all on board with the DVR because it's your lifeline, because it's where your relationship with the Lord is fed and fueled and furthered. That's a three-point sermon for another time. Those three Fs just came up. Just make a note of that. But that's that's what it is to be a well-rounded Christian and to have a relationship with the Lord. And if you're neglecting the word of God, you can't have a relationship with the Lord. you are not in the word on a regular basis, your relationship with him will be dry and sterile and distant and stunted. And your perception of God will be a match to those things. Yeah. Because it is, it's a a dynamic, it's an ongoing relationship with him that transcends that conversion moment 
keeps going past that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and its truths. And we're so grateful for our relationship that we have with you. A relationship that allows us to trust you. A relationship that allows us to grow in our knowledge and understanding of who you are. A relationship that allows us to be called your sons and your daughters. And we're so thankful that you have chosen to make yourself known to us. God, I pray that we would be a people who trust you with all of our heart and do not lean on our own understanding. I pray that we would acknowledge you in all of our ways and that we would see that you will make our paths straight. God, grant us favor to do that and to do that consistently, moment by moment, trusting you with everything that we are. You're worthy of it, God, because you will never fail us. Every other relationship on this planet will fail us, but you will never fail us. Thank you for that great, amazing reality. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Small groups.